0: Hi, I'm Milton Davis, and you're listening to Microphones of Madness.
1: There it goes. Hello, everybody. It's Saturday night, Microphones Madness. It is October 22nd. Whoa. And Steve blew the entire wad prematurely.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, if you're gonna pretend you're Boris Karloff, the wad has been blown before you even
1: open your mouth. You're a mean one.
0: <laughs> <Mr>.
2: <laughs> hey, now December, dude.
1: Ah, uh, that's right. No, no Christmas before Halloween.
0: Yeah, fuck that. Well,
1: All right, so a- yeah,
0: it's a circle. Once you pass Halloween, Christmas is
1: before Halloween. Thank you, Rust Cole, for that commentary. Um, Yeah, so tonight is the first episode of our Halloween spooktacular. And tonight we are talking the fair, beckoning, the beckoning fair one. Yeah, the beckoning fair one. By Oliver Onions.
2: It's an 100-year-old ghost story. First published in 1911.
1: Yep, as a part of the collection Wittershins. That's a funny word, Wittershins. Wittershins. And hopefully the audio is coming through loud and clear, um, unlike some other projects. So, let's get down to it. Now, the alternate title for the Beckoning Fair one is When ASMR Attacks. nice for real so i guess like always initial impressions we'll start with we'll start with kim today
2: it took me a while to get into this one um i guess i'm too used to hardcore horror because i kept thinking okay get him. No, no, don't don't just don't just go drinking. Just get him or you know, do something, you know, it's, and and I like much like uh it was with Conan. Uh I can see where this is the basis for a lot of uh a modern folklore and the basis for a lot of modern ghost literature. Mhm. I mean, and there is stuff that eventually happens, but it's like, damn, just do something, dude. Fight. (laughs) I know. But overall, I I I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was a good
0: read. What about you, Steve? It was definitely a slow burn. Um, It it I want to say it had a lot in common. With um, chambers, mm-hmm. um, some of the themes of artistry and slowly losing it um, because of third-party happenings mm-hmm. uh, were similar. but you know what really struck me the most was and I don't know anything about Oliver Onions. Um,
1: he was but, a very busy and prolific man.
0: It, it reminded me of a good um, analog for depression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, what the character was going through and just the vagueness of the haunting itself. Yes. Um, reminded me very much of what somebody goes through when they're suffering through a battle of depression and how they um, interact with their beloved ones and people in their lives. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I can see that. I can see that.
2: Definitely see that.
1: Now, while I was reading through this, I was re- reminded, as I often am, of a sketch within Eddie Izzard's "Dressed to Kill," uh, where he speaks of the difference between American movies and British movies, and British films are "A Room with a View." And American movies are a room with a view of hell. And, you know, and it was very much for a good solid half of the story. Now, I think the the copy that we used ended up being like 60 pages, 61 pages in PDF. Mm -hmm. And it was quite literally halfway through the story before the first inklings of something spooky occurred.
0: Mm, I don't know about that. I'd say you got spooky stuff happening in the second or third tra-
1: chapter. Right. I didn't see it so much in the second or third, but definitely definitely in the fourth. Wait,
0: um, was that the chapter with the water dripping?
1: Yeah, that's when, the, when we okay, started. Because
0: that's water. when you started really getting it. And it's right. in a... a tw- 12-chapter
1: novelette. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we start off uh, with this very vivid description of this old house. Um, this this writer, Paul, is his first name. Um, mainly because I just forgot his last name.
0: It's an it's a
1: mash of Oliver, so it's like Oleron. Allerand. Allerand, Paul Allerand. He he's, he walks by this house. He's seen this house many times, and one day it just strikes him as curiosity to see because for years and years and years there have been signs that say to let in in front of this house,
2: or other words to rent.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, key is in you know number six of the square. And so he, just out of sheer curiosity, he goes and asks the guys, like, hey, man, can I see the now, key?
0: It's important to note that in that initial description of mm-hmm. the, the house and the to let signs, that they're described as hatchets.
1: Yes. Oh, Waiting yeah. to fall over any happens that's a by,
0: And it's not a great neighborhood. It, it's like one of those neighborhoods that used to be great mm. but it's fallen on hard times mm-hmm.
1: um, it's seen better days yeah
0: and it's very and the house itself is isolated even from that you have to go down an alley to right. uh, mount the, the front steps mm-hmm. so you, you definitely get this this sense that this
1: place is off just in the beginning right right it yeah. occupies a dead end of sorts. Even though it's completely surrounded, you have to, you have to finagle your way into the house.
0: Well, even Paul, when he was passing by day to day from his house, from his room to his workspace, mm-hmm. went on the other side of the street.
1: Right. Yeah. Never, never even noticed it before. He just happened to be crossing on the other side of the street. that day. Now, Paul is a writer, uh, rather successful Novelist. Um, he sees the house. He decides to check it out. Um, he's intrigued by it, but he doesn't need the entire house. So he goes and talks to the, the the landlord and asks if he can just rent a floor. To which they try to sell him the whole damn house.
0: And, and you also yeah. find out that
1: the landlord there is a little bit of a religious nut. Well, that's the guy that just has the key. The, the actual landlord right. he had to go visit elsewhere.
0: Well, that would be, yeah, those he's the agent.
1: Yeah, yeah, the agent. So he he make he cuts a deal to rent a floor of this house. Um, spends a bunch of money fixing it up, painting it, getting new curtains. He's got a bunch of his grandmother's furniture in storage, and he's like, "Oh, this house would be perfect for that old shit." So he brings all of this, his grandmother's old furniture in, paints it up, does it up nice, and now he's got this like five room bachelor flat in this old house.
0: And and none of that is unreasonable. We've actually all been there before.
1: Right. And, And in some ways, it reminded me of some of the houses around this area, some of the old Victorian. Houses and whatnot that have been sectioned off into apartments, mm-hmm. or a couple of houses I was in, in while I was in New Orleans last that uh, also had been sectioned off into apartments.
0: Uh, it, it definitely reminds me of like just when you're when you're got that shitty job and you and you don't you don't quite have enough money coming in where and you see that. Oh well, we can because I've totally been here. We can get this place for X amount cheaper Mm -hmm. every month. I should do that because I totally save money doing that. And it's very identifiable, this guy.
1: Right, and and he's also driven by this this uh, you know oh the loft rooms I've been in over my over the past few years are stifling my creativity. Mm -hmm. This bigger space, I. I will finish my masterpiece. And he's working on his masterpiece novel. Right. Yes. Um, He's 15 chapters in.
2: Romilly Bishop.
1: Yep. And, you know, he's constantly talking about, oh, I need need to get back to work on this novel. He's he's always working on the novel. And so he moves in and he distracts himself from the novel completely by fixing up this old house and and getting things. And, you know, there's, he starts seeing little odds and ends of neat little features of the house. Like it had a powder closet at one point uh, where he finds a couple of old wig stands that he sure wasn't there when he checked it out originally. You know, all the seats have, you know, all the windows have window seats with little stool chairs that you can flip open and there's, storage space. He goes through and he cleans all that up and he finds a unusual bag. Just, just little interesting little slice of life things about him working on this house. It was kind of like this old house, early 20th century style. And he, he, he has this, his friend and confidant, Elise, um, she comes by to visit him and says, you know, and she's she's a journalist by trade. Um, I'm assuming by some of the description that either Oliver Onions didn't trust journalists all that much or she works for a scandal sheet.
0: Hmm. Um, well, she's, she's a, a pretty successful journalist. Right. And she's, 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 she's more successful at her journalism than he is at his noveling. Right, um, but it's kind of the understood thing that she respects him more
1: for what he does, right, than he right. does her for what she does. Right. Without people like you, people like me don't have jobs, stuff like that. So you know, she might she might even write like literary criticism or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of makes me
2: wonder if if the real Oliver Onions had a woman like that in his life that he was a little bit jealous of, maybe.
1: Um, you know it, it's quite possible because I mean Olerrand is kind of a kind of a mashup of Oliver onions as a as a title. Um, uh, his His character in in the current novel is based on Elise. so it's there there might be some little autobiographical things creeping into this particular story. Um, and just little clues here and there. Well she also she likes it.
0: But he doesn't quite like her.
1: Right. He's he's just like this is my this is my pal.
0: Yeah.
1: And she's like, You're more than a pal. You're my you're my novelist. He's oblivious just just like, to that.
0: Like he's completely oblivious because it's just like it's a that um they go out. And they'll be walking and she'll take his hand and he accepts it as a sister.
1: Right. right. And that's... And he, he always describes it that way. Um, now, Elise hates the fucking house. Hates it. And the feeling is mutual. And the feeling is spoiler. Mutual. Spoiler alert. That's a hundred and forty year old story, so... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's 140 years old. It was published. 100, and 100, 105, 104. 104, 105, somewhere around there. That's fine. Like that. um, yeah. So you you got you know the friend comes in and she hates the house and through the early creepy shit that goes on, one of the earliest creepy things going on, it we we discover that the house itself seems to hate her as well. It's jealous. Um,
2: and we're not supposed to figure that out for a few chapters yet.
1: Right. We're not supposed to figure that out for a few chapters. And it takes, it takes all around even more time to figure it out because this guy is, he is your typical horror protagonist. He is a stone cold moron. <laughs> It's true. He, he's, he's, he's fucking definitely dense. Dense. He's definitely dense. I mean, uh, you know, this, this, this woman has been pining over him for years and years and years. Um, you know, he's, he's writing this novel and he, he lets himself get distracted by it but he's always working on the novel even though he just refuses to admit anything to himself. You know, he, he refuses to admit anything is weird of going on at this house.
0: Well, and the, the first indication
1: is that he
0: decides that he's going to rewrite the entire thing that he's halfway done. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> he's, he's halfway done or his, almost done. This is his magnum
0: opus. He's been toiling over it for ages. He It's under contract, so he's yep. got to get it out. And he's flat fucking broke.
1: Yep. Even though he continually has money throughout the story, even though in the early chapters he's down to his last fifty, like, 50 pounds, yeah. Yet he's he shit must have been cheap during the during the story because he spends lavishly um, throughout the story on okay. his fifty pounds. Well, he has flowers delivered to him every day, and his food. Food
0: delivered to him every day. And he has and his he has a maid.
2: I mean, but the fifty pounds was after he got through all of his decorating. So he might have had more at the beginning.
1: Right. So he's he's paying the house soaked it all up. Right. The house took all of his money, most of his money. He's down to fifty pounds, yet he's able to still pay rent, buy food, buy flowers, buy booze, take buses. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, he does all of this stuff he's never really wanting for money even though we're told several times he has no money.
2: But well, I think those were like days when like an ice cream was what 5 cents or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, things were quite a bit cheaper back then, but I don't know how I don't know if they were that cheap.
1: It, you know, I get the impression over the course of the story that he either got another advance at some point or this motherfucker is the penny-pensionist bastard ever because he stretched a 50 pounds for what seems to be months. Yeah.
2: Right.
1: Um. So, yeah, I mean,
0: this, this is the wrong Wesley in here going, whoa, 50 pounds is a lot in those days.
1: Uh, rate yes. of conversion. Yeah. You saw a horse. <laughs> now, unlike a lot of ghost stories, this... I, I, I'm going to throw this out here and see what you guys think. This seems more like it's a sentient house type of ghost story rather than an actual ghost. Disembodied yes human presence. And, yes and no. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I think you might have... well, there's a third possibility. There is no ghost, and he's just a fucking crazy bastard. Oh, that too. Um, Put that aside. The ghost definitely controls what goes on in that house. Every detail. Um, Because it it first manifests, we were talking about this earlier, um, by the pattern and tones of the dripping faucet. Yes. And it plays a song that's later revealed to be called Beckoning Fair One. Right. A harp piece. Right. And then he comes to realize that every sound that the house makes is part of this. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely nothing random happening in the house. But if we jump ahead, there's a point where um, his brush or his comb is being used. Yes. Um,
2: There's a a sound of a woman brushing her hair, but how he knows it's a woman, I don't know. But he definitely states it as the sound of a woman
1: brushing her hair. Right. Hence when ASMR attacks.
0: Well, it was also um, framed in his grandmother's um, portrait.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's there's a lot of... uh, Interesting little sequences going on in this story. I mean, the first half is is is, like I said, the slice of life. I mean, you get to know, you get to know Paul. You get to know Elise. Right. It's a little bit of a build up. Yeah, a lot of build up. Very, very slow burn. Very British. Very room with a view. Um. Very appropriate. Yes. And um, then we get to the almost hypnotic passage of him listening to the faucet. He had just gotten in an argument with Elise when he had admitted to her that he wanted to restart the novel right? because he and, wasn't sure.
0: And left alone with his thoughts after this argument, he starts to turn on her mm-hmm. in his mind. And this is like the first part where I was thinking, wow, I mean, in retrospect, where maybe this is just...
1: An allegory for depression right because right there's there's this this idea that you know why is she attacking me right and you know and, and also he's, he has the, the 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 willingness to just abandon the project whole you know whole cloth right mm-hmm. there you know on a whim okay. effectively. Funny. And yeah, I know that feeling
0: extremely well. I've got writer's block. Fuck it. I'm just yep.
1: gonna yeah. go in a whole or, different direction. Or, you know, what for whatever it is, just thinking about the project itself. He's like, No, it's wrong. Fuck right. it. I can't do this. I have to and, do it different.
0: Fuck her for telling me
1: that I'm that I'm wrong. Yeah. Right.
2: Right. And then there's they, also the fact that later on when it's clear that the house is turning on a lease, he sees fit to keep her out for her sake. Mm -hmm. And you find that a lot of times with depression and even suicide too. That people think that others are better off without them. That it is for your sake that I am pushing you away.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, he does does in a sense push her away to protect her, but he also flip-flops back and forth between pushing her away to protect her and pushing her away to be with the this the ideal, right? Who who is this female presence? He's constructing within the context of this haunting, um, and which partially leads to Steve's conclusion that you know there, there was no haunting at all, and that he's just crazy because the the haunting itself appears to escalate as he grows deeper into constructing this this new Romilly character in his head.
0: And the only people that are affected
1: directly
0: well, it's just him and possibly Elise. Mm -hmm. Possibly because everything that happened to her there is an alternate explanation of just bad luck.
1: Right. Right. There are there are coincidental happenings. The first happening being that she cuts her hand on a rusty nail, going to retrieve the old original Romilly manuscript from one of the window seats. Right. And Even and though,
0: he swears up and down that he removed all the nails from that from the from right. window right. box. Well he opened
2: it a hundred times himself but never
1: gotten cut.
0: Well, I swear up and down a lot of things that I Didn't realize I did or didn't do.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is true. And, and, you know, so you're also... um, You have this, this impression that maybe he left the nail there to prevent someone else from grabbing the manuscript. That he hasn't actually touched it since he put it in the box. Right. Or, you know, maybe... Maybe he was fully aware of the weakened step the whole time. and or, or or he just never never really
0: went on that particular spot. Yeah. And she was described as a larger woman. Mm-hmm. So, and I didn't get the impression that he was a big guy. So right. It, I mean, she does say when she falls through the, the steps that she's gaining so much weight. And... At first, I kind of put that off to like, oh, 1911. Yay. Right. But, but, okay, why would you actually take pains to describe a character that way if you weren't going to use it in some way? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that it is because she was overweight that that broke I'm saying that the possibility exists, right, in the context of house. Life, that that could have been an explanation for it, as opposed to the house
1: being jealous and pissed off at her. Mm-hmm. And onions takes great strides to remind us frequently that the house is in a in a severe state of disrepair, right? For as pretty as as Paul made his rooms with coat of paint and chintzy curtains and stuff like that. You know, the rest of the house is is literally falling apart. Well, oh, there's no locks. He had to put his own Yale lock on there. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that. That is just you know, he didn't get the nail. It was a bad step. Um, but the, you know, then you're, you're you descend into his his madness, as, as it were. Um, he, he gets deeper into the throes of depression um, he's constructing this new Romilly personality for the rewrite of the novel and he's believing that the house or that there's a presence in the house that he that, that is this new Romilly as well because the original Romilly of the novel was based on Elise, right? he says um and now so, that she's fallen out of favor with him. Right. The, the, he's he's replacing her, right. as it were. Um,
0: House is a convenient excuse. House made me do it,
1: man. Yep. Mm-hmm. House made me do it. So first he shuts out Elise completely. And then he realizes that, oh, if I want this new Romilly to appear, I have to get rid of all of the other women in my life, including... The original fictitious Romilly, right? And
0: he also um, gets rid of his maid.
1: Yep, his his maid ends up going away because the guy with the agents are rather religious, um, almost puritanical, Um, and 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 the wife believes that you know there's some impropriety going on,
0: right? (sighs) Goodness. Because you know,
1: at least isn't married to the man, right? And yet she's there a lot.
0: Barrett—that was his name, Barrett.
1: Barrett. Barrett. Yeah, right. Barrett and Miss Barrett. Yes.
2: Barrett the duck job.
1: And there was
0: even a point where she was like saying, "It's like four pence a week," yeah. and and her husband was like, "It doesn't matter in the eyes of God."
1: Right. Right. We we know who's dominating that relationship. And it's, it's an interesting juxtaposition that Barrett is the, the dominating force of his rela- relationship, and Elise is actually the dominating force in their relationship. Um, you know, She comes in, she, she speaks her mind, she makes Paul listen, and, and he usually listens. But something about being in the new house... Uh, changes that he and he uses that as part of a justification. He's like, I have to stand on my own. You know, this is this is my road to walk. Damn it, right?
0: And she's yeah. concerned about his livelihood and his reputation, and you know his his mental health. Mm-hmm. And he sees her as controlling mm-hmm. and uh,
1: you know selfish, right? And and yeah, his mental health is deteriorating. I mean, he's locked himself into this this house. Well, not only that, but He is aware of a
0: presence. Hmm. Um. Fairly early on, like after after she puts her her uh, foot through the stairs, right? Comes to the conclusion that there's a presence. I have to keep her away, and. When he is away from the house, he makes these elaborate plans. Well, I'll go stay with such and such, and I'll have all my stuff pulled out. And he, he like makes all these plans to get away until he, go, until he sits a while and gets back there. And he's like, oh, well, no. I'm, it's too much of a bother. I'll just keep her away for her own safety, and I'll deal with this. Right, because
1: I'm a man, and I can deal with this.
2: And this is my house, damn it.
1: Yeah. That's right. Like, like the old uh, song, Haunted House. I forgot who <laughs> sung it, but. Anyway. So, yeah, I mean, and we're led, he goes further and further and further, and he's waiting for this, this ghost to, to manifest itself. And he um,
2: tries all these different things. Like, um uh, see what does he do? Uh, there's one point when he says, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna neglect you, and we'll see what that gets out of you.
0: Okay.
1: He's he's he's, he's effectively does. he's effectively like this this ghost woman that he's this figment. And and yeah, he's you know, she popped in you know, when he was sitting there relaxed, but no, then she won't pop in again. So he's like, "Well, I'll just ignore you, and we'll see about that." And you know, mm-hmm. the pickup artist guide to uh, extra bio exorcism or something.
2: <laughs> God,
1: anyway, hell! I mean, you know, it, it's clear that that Paul has very. Very little respect for women. Period. Um, just some of the things he says to, to justify his own actions, things he says about Elise, thing the way he treats this female entity in you know that he believes is in the house. I mean, all of these things just are just misogynistic. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like he hates women overall. It seems to me.
0: Well, especially if his ideal woman that he's constructing mm-hmm. is she's capricious, she's jealous, mm-hmm. she's a she's basically a tease. Right. Um she's like everything negative that people describe women like in the manosphere.
1: Right. And and it's always and, and Paul always justifies it as that's just how women are.
2: Right.
1: You know, that's that's how women are in the modern world. They're coy and coquettish and rude. So, you know...
0: When the actual woman who, who wants to be in his life is none of those things.
1: Nope. Although he yeah. believes she is those things and, and many worse things. Um... Now, now, then we get to the, the ending of, of this, this story. And it gets even stranger because Paul has basically starved himself. He's ceased to care about anything but making this ghost manifest. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where he, is, he has not eaten. Uh, he is so weak he cannot get out of the bed. Um, we,
2: we should mention that earlier in the story, um, they tell the story about this house. The last owner mm-hmm. died of starvation. There wasn't a, a speck of food inside him. Yes. Who is a painter
1: by trade.
2: Right. And that's a mystery in itself. And we don't actually...
0: His same is matter.
2: We are not actually told towards the end that he is not eating.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But that was one of the things that I kind of wondered about as I read... You know, he was low on pounds. He was low on on money. And yet he buys flowers all the time.
1: Well, he he also... He's not. Right. And he also mentions that eventually he stops getting... He gets his food and flowers delivered to his door. But after a while, he stops even bringing them inside. And the delivery boys assume that there's some type of mistake or they canceled the orders and stopped delivering.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Which if you're if you're really fucking depressed oh, yeah. don't get out of bed. Yeah. Or knock on the door, you don't go and even see who it is. Who gives a shit?
1: Yeah. Right. You know, his his what little mail he's getting, because a man who doesn't write letters receives no letters. Um, you know, what little mail he gets piles up. You know, the Telegrams he gets just lay on the floor,
0: and his publishers saying, "Where's the book? Where's the book?
1: Where's the and book?" Eventually, Where's they the book?
2: stop asking, "Where's the book?"
1: Because right. he, well, he's not responding to them. Right. Right. He's not responding. Uh, he's he's pretty much just completely isolating himself um, from the he's outside world and shut himself down. And and yeah, that's very much a, a, a symptom of depression and you just, just trying to isolate yourself. You build your pillow fort, as it were, and that's where you stay um, when when the opportunity affords itself. And and yeah, I mean, you do. You just, you, uh, I don't care. I don't care. There's so many things that I must do, but fuck it. I don't yeah, care. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: If this were a oh, modern
1: well, story, you would have just been looking at internet core. probably. Because <laughs> that, I mean, that's basically what he was doing in his head. Yeah, until his internet got shut off.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Um. And Elise comes by one last time. Uh, you know, she's banging on the door, banging she, on the door. She's genuinely, genuinely concerned about him. him.
0: Because she even said the penultimate time she stopped by that I won't bother you anymore. I won't go near you anymore
1: unless I know you need me. Right. And I'll know. And the last <laughs> final time she's banging on the door, Paul, Paul, are you in there? You know, I know you can hear me. You know, and it's just this this one final Effort at intervention because you know she knows she knows that, that he's wasting him away in there and and even then, now he's
2: thinking no you know you need to stay away no for your own good stay away no
1: right and he,
2: even now he, even though he's too weak to get out of bed even
1: yeah, yeah. or is or is he, or is he? Well, because yeah there's there is the one scene where he does almost get out of bed when he thinks he hears his name being called from the kitchen. Right.
0: That gets really,
1: really dreamish.
0: Yes. It's, it's a sequence where up until that point with the occasional aside um, from Mm -hmm. the narrator, it's very clear what is going on Mm -hmm. with the action and the thoughts of the characters. Right. But at this point where he's he's lying in bed and he hears his name being called from inside the house, from in the kitchen, and he goes goes up to see what it is, but it gets very jumbled.
1: Right, right. It's it's as if it's as if the Paul's grip on reality has completely slipped. Right. That he can no longer distinguish the, the, the dream and the fiction from the reality itself right. because he tries to get out of the bed. It seems like he does get out of the bed, but then his his legs are weak so he gets back in the bed. Right. But, you know, there's, there's a, a moment of time that passes between him getting out of the bed and him getting back in the bed that we're really not Quite clear. It seems that it's it's an instant, but for Paul at that particular time, time is not moving as it should for him. He right. you know he's, because he's remembering and hallucinating, so he's going backwards, he's going forwards, he's going sideways. It's very ambiguous, right? So anything that that he does. We cannot be sure that he's either actually doing or can trust the description of what he's doing.
0: Right, and it's a great segue because that's basically the last bit of narration of, of from Paul's point of view. Right. Then we right. switch to the next day, mm-hmm. where we have um, a posse basically yep. banging on his door. Mhm. Because someone's not there. Someone didn't make it home that night. Mhm. Yep. So you have now. We don't quite know what's going on with this because there's a reveal, right? You have to save it for the reveal. I mean, come on. Yeah. There's got to be some zinger in there. But you have you have the religious Barrett um, and his people chanting. I always knew he was up to no good. Yep. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing.
1: Impropriety. Pur- <gasps>
0: right. Impr- you have neighbors going well, I remember when he was in the bar muttering to himself.
1: Mm-hmm. So, and boy, he was pounding them back too. Right. And and things like that. And so you have the so gawkers, the crowd. The gawkers, the crowd, the, the reporters. Where you're like, what's going
0: on? You kind of know what's going on, right? What's going on? Well, the cops bust down the door. Yep, which isn't hard because it's a tiny little lot. and uh, they find him in bed, emaciated, barely alive, mm-hmm. barely conscious. And they search the house. They open up the uh, the pantry. Right with yeah, the old powder,
1: the old powder closet, we, we,
0: it. stuffed up trap door. She's gone, Ben. A- Elsie's shoved up the uh, into the crawl space. Yep, they open it up and she flops out. Yep.
2: It's described as a large pudding.
0: Yep, she's right. been dead she's in, for a while in the mysterious cloth that they found, which turns out to be a heart bag. Mm-hmm. Which is right. important because we'll get into like, what is it—a ghost story? Is it a story of mental breakdown?
1: Does it matter? Right now, in the in the recounting of the events, uh, the Mrs. Barrett describes seeing a pale face at the window that belongs to a woman. Now, what is unclear is that Onions goes through very great lengths to describe... Is it Elsie or is it Elise? I've been saying Elise.
0: Oh, maybe it is. Elise. Oh. My, my copy is...
1: On the iPad, which is being used to watch a baseball game. Right. Um, Kim will look that up and, and
2: yeah, I got it in offer of the correction. It's Elsie.
1: Elsie, okay. My apologies, it's Elsie. Um, but he goes through great lengths to describe her face as being very pink. She's constantly, almost in a constant state of being flushed. Right. Uh, you know, that her, her skin and, and her, her face particularly are very pink. But Mrs. Barrett sees a pale face at the window that, belong, that belongs to a woman. So, you know, is there a ghost? And, and he leaves it hanging as, you know, as to whether or not of what exactly is going on. And that's just kind of what makes the story work. Is by the end you have no idea what's going on.
2: Right? I mean, you have an idea, but there's nothing laid out for you definite. You have to imagine what's going on.
1: Right, right, and 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 that and it becomes kind of more of a myster- mystery, um, you know, and it is a very vague kind of ending. I mean, you know, Elsie's dead. You know, Paul is wasting away, and he gets dragged off by the cops. Um we know what their suspicion is, but you know there's there's all of those little hints that it may not be exactly that materialistic, you know murder mystery solution that that you know they right. he kind of presents at the end.
0: Well, now there's a, a, a really large tradition of ghost story. Of just that, if you think back on literary ghost stories, yes, the the good ones are the ones where was it a ghost? Was that horseman headless?
1: Right, or was it all in Ichabod's head? Right, or you know,
2: was was it a giant prank?
0: Was it it a prank? Was it a hallucination? Look at the repair reputation. So, all the the King in Yellow stuff. Mm -hmm. It's
1: all from shaky narrators. Right. And you're never. And and they all have this dreamlike quality to them where reality kind of blurs a little bit Mm -hmm. for the reader. And. You're never really quite sure, you know, okay, which interpretation am I supposed to go with? Right. Well,
0: there's a bunch of uh, Gene Wolf and endangered species
1: Mm -hmm. that's like
0: that. I mean, mean, these are like the the stories that stick with you. Right. As opposed to like a Scooby Doo kind of thing where, you know, oh, it's Mr. Jenkins. Mr. Jenkins, the former carnival owner. Right. I or would it's have a straight, with it. It. straight up straight up for those kids. Broad Hardy Boys kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or it's like a straight up ghost story, you know, with actual right. ghosts.
1: Mm-hmm. You know. Right.
0: And nothing so- wrong with those. They're fun and everything.
1: Mm-hmm. They don't
0: they don't give you those mental gymnastics that something like this does. Where you can say, Well, okay, but maybe it was all in his mind, but how did the emaciated guy stuff a large woman up into a crawl space? Right. That's what I'm thinking.
1: How, 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 but but given that she's a pudding, you know, did when he was burning the manuscript and she was banging on the door and, you know, the last, right. The last part of that sequence that we actually see before we get to this extended narration of him wasting away is he looks over at the door and he starts mocking her under his breath. Right.
0: Oh, and remember he, he was, uh, his mental fury, which was described as he wanted to hit her like a child. And, Mm -hmm. um, he ended up
1: like with the force of rage. Yes. So, you know, it's very, very possible that he killed her right then and there he, he, he let her in killed her right there stuffed her up and he's like okay now she's gone um, yeah so I mean there's a sequence of events that occurs that makes the ending pl- plausible um, there's also a you know there's sequences of events throughout the story that make every interpretation of the end completely plausible mm-hmm it is almost like choose your own ending. You know, here are the facts, which you know, which facts do you like the best? Now it's it's a uh, recently, um,
0: possibly yesterday or the day before, Scott Nicolay mm-hmm. posted on Facebook, Is it possible to have a weird story with a non ambiguous ending? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that post.
2: I didn't
1: I think I did. Yeah, um,
0: was going to say Clark Ashton Smith writes a bunch of them, but that's ah, beside the point. <laughs> but he, he does have a point where the, the really good weird tale right. has that kind of ending where it's a it's like a
1: Schrodinger's ending, right? Yeah, that has that has an ambiguous ending that has a mundane solution and it has a supernatural solution. Right. Um, you know, you refer to Clark Ashton Smith. I think "From Beyond" being one of my favorite short stories is very non-ambiguous as well. What happens in that story right. yeah. clearly happens, right? Um, you know, uh, even "Call of Cthulhu," for example, that clearly happens if if the narrator is to be believed.
0: Well, that's the thing: is most of these narrators are not to be believed. I mean, I think you right. kind of have to have an unreliable narrator to make this stuff work.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, but I think, I, I think there were a lot in the, in the anthologies we've recently read that were not ambiguous in the slightest. Um, I think a lot of, um, say, uh, Return of the Old Ones, and were not ambiguous stories. Um, Much of, yeah, not much of Swords versus Cthulhu, was ambiguous. I mean, these were pretty Mm -hmm. direct stories, Um, and with narration that was reliable. Uh, So I think you can, I think you can do it both ways, and and you get a different effect, and it really determined is. Well, it doesn't really determine it, but it depends on what effect you're going for. If you're going for an ending like the fair, the beckoning fair one, and you know where the reader is just going, what the fuck? What? What? What if? What? Huh? (laughs) Um, and I think uh, it. Mad the madness of dr Caligari. there were a couple of stories in that anthology that left us going what did i just read what i read a couple. yeah
2: yeah just like all of them
0: <laughs> well and then, and right. i think that's where you get a difference between like a weird tale mm-hmm. um and then like a lovecraftian kind of thing right right where where you have like a uh, and not all of lovecraft, because a lot of it is like was it the drugs, was it blah 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 mm-hmm. you, you have a lot of ambiguous endings in there, but you also have a lot of things where it's not ambiguous right. where like uh, ins mouth mm-hmm. it's not not ambiguous at all right that's what happened
1: now uh, something something else that. that that occurs to me that that occurred to me when talking about unreliable narrators is what the fuck is up with artists? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Chambers, many of his protagonists were artists, you know, and, and sure, that's the people that Chambers hung out with. Um, you know, Madley and, and Paul in, 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 this story by by Oliver Onions. Both of them were artists, right? Which you know, and and they met almost the same end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as opposed to someone like Lovecraft, where most of his most of his protagonists were science minded, these were scholars. scholars. you know, a lot of these other stories, these guys are artists. You know, Paul was a writer, madley was a painter you know, Chambers' uh, protagonists were painters and sculptors and, you know, do, you know, are are artists more susceptible to this, you know, fragile mental state?
0: I think think so. I think people see it like that. I mean, people, I think artists are categorized as capricious as uh, not as sensitive. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a good way to describe it, uh, because they, they they have to because they create art, they create beauty, so they must be sensitive,
1: but not sensitive in in an empathic sort of way.
0: No, no, of like, people, in, in but like, they're a,
1: sensitive to like this
0: to the pathos of the universe,
1: right? This this kind of the the, the genius of a place, right? Um, and 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 very much. Oliver Onions puts Paul into this position of being extremely sensitive to the genius of this house. Right. I mean,
0: like the guy himself was kind of a schmuck. Yeah. Wasn't very social. No. Um, and
2: the slightest clue that the love of his life was in right in front of him.
1: Right. And even, even when that happens, when he realizes that, he's like, nah, that's not it. Nah.
0: I mean he can't can't fault him for not liking
1: something. Oh uh, yeah, it's true. Um I'm shipping but I think, Paul and um, Elsa. <laughs> uh, I'm shipping Paul and the comb. You know, he's, he's he's very he he also seems to be kind of wrapped up in his own appearance. And I wonder if that had anything to do with the the manifestation with the comb. because he himself um they talk about you know he dresses he dresses very nice he went austere. out and, he and, dresses and, very and, right but he goes out and he like lavishly decorates this place yeah and you know you get this this feeling that he's very much a dandy of sorts whereas she was I mean, all she has
2: curtains i mean come on yeah.
1: she was all scars and Veils and skirts and, you know, she's, yeah, you kind of get the, the impression that, that, that she's a sloppy dresser. Right. And, and not necessarily, you know, she's buying her stuff off the rack where, you know, he probably goes out tailored, you know, and, and they make the point of him going to the bar without his hat.
2: Yeah, well, people are staring at him because he doesn't when, have a hat. I
0: mean, what, what
1: that, the fuck? That was a time when you didn't leave the house without a hat. Yeah. The hats. hats. When thing. you're a grown man, you wear a fucking hat when you go that, out. Little that little. was
0: definitely a thing.
2: Well, but then also consider the fact that I think they still threw their chamber pot out the window at the time, didn't they?
1: <laughs> well, no. Paul had running water inside. He had oh. indoor plumbing. Oh, puff, um, puff. You know, him, him taking a dump was probably not important to the story, so we don't know if he had an indoor toilet or not. But he definitely had hot and cold running water within the house.
2: But I'm just wondering yeah, if maybe, maybe that's part of the reason why play. you had to have a hat when you go out the door.
1: Right. Oh, that was etiquette. And
0: that's etiquette. That was just the way it was. Go so look at old old photographs from basically Howie. Pre, up until like World War Two. Yeah.
1: How was like 50s, that I
0: think hats went out of style in like the sixties,
1: right yeah you start you started seeing fewer hats in the sixties the, the you know up until like the fifties men they that could was watch old, old movies mm-hmm. hat, everybody has a hat yep, you go out, you have a hat, you come in, you hang it on the rack
0: they still do that you, um they still do that in the military when I worked on uh in Aberdeen mm
1: hmm Um, You, you, you whether whether you're wearing a a parade. and when you came in, you took it off. Yep, come in the door, you take it off, you place it under your arm. When you leave, hat goes on your head, walk out. Yeah, that's like putting on underwear or something. Yeah, that's that's Uh, that's the way it is.
2: Image that just popped into my head.
1: It's the way it is for me. I mean, I wear a hat, and yeah, I, I come inside, I take it off. When I go outside, I put it back on. Especially in the fall and the wintertime, because it's a wool hat. Makes sense. And it's too hot for the summer. So, I mean, final final thoughts. What did you guys think of the story overall?
0: Um, I liked it. I It was very slow starting getting into. Um, But once it's kicked in to what it was supposed to be, Mm -hmm. it was enjoyable. Um, I I like the fact that it it, it was ambiguous, that you were allowed to draw your own conclusions um, instead of having everything handed to you on a plate. And uh, I, I
1: enjoy um, the fact that he wore a hat. Except for when he went drinking.
0: Well, he was just out of sorts then. Yes. Yeah.
2: Of course, that must be it.
0: Alright,
1: Kim?
2: Uh, overall, I enjoyed it. You kind of have to... You can't have the eight second attention span that everybody has these days when you're reading this. If you get yourself in the proper mindset, yeah, yeah, it's good.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. It was it was kind of a slow starter. Uh, I really didn't get interested in the story until the character of Elsie was introduced, and, and there was someone to talk for him to talk to. Uh, but you know, there were several good sequences. But I didn't. I didn't find this to be a very creepy story. But uh, yeah, I think I think the ending, being as ambiguous as it was, was very effective story. So yeah, I, I give it. A, I give it a thumbs up. If you're looking for something to read, uh, I wouldn't say it's a good story for the Halloween season. No, uh, because because it doesn't have the creep factor that you're looking for. Yeah, it's definitely or, more of a slow. Slow burn. Yeah, yeah this Slow is burn. this is more of a, a you know to to use the M. R. James tradition. Um, yeah, this is more of a Christmas time ghost story, since a lot of British ghost stories were told around Christmas time. Um,
2: we need to bring that tradition back.
1: Well, we will be bringing it back next week when we uh, read through M. R. James's The Rose Garden. Mr. James. Good segue. (laughs) (laughs) I was reading it as Mr. James. Mr. James. Mr. James. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll be doing that one next week. Uh, MR James. uh, The final week of our Spooktacular.
0: Yeah,
1: we only got two parts to the Spooktacular. Sorry, guys. Damn. But uh, Key Conga Kickstarter kicked in. Oh,
2: yeah. Well, we had to have that. Priorities.
1: Priorities. Right. Yeah. So join us then next week, nine thirty Eastern Time on Saturday night, and we'll be talking about that story. We'll be giving a good, probably a good riffing as well. Monday night, Monday night heroes, massive Nihil Leathatep, Hulk Cthulhu edition. Yeah. Friday phone guy still on hiatus. Yes. Uh, we'll start seeing those guys again in November. So until then, say good night, Gracie.
2: Good night. Babe. Good night, Gracie.